Hi, I'm Jennifer Love of the Living Wealthy Institute, and this is The Nature of Money Show. Did 2020 leave you feeling disoriented or disconnected maybe from yourself and others? Dramatic disruptions continue to shake our financial world to its core, revealing vulnerabilities in how we live, relate to, and interact with money. And many of us feel more alone in our relationship with money than ever before. And in this season of The Nature of Money, we'll begin to take a deeper dive into the inner workings that laid the foundation for how several successful female founders developed their personal money narrative. And you'll get a peek into the deeper layers, which ordinarily stay hidden behind the garden gate of our busy lives. And you'll begin to get to know me through various parts of my own story and the perspectives of experts in various fields. Together, we're going to explore those core beliefs about money and worth and where they come from. And what are the limitations caused by our old money narratives? And how do those limitations affect us? I'm a career entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience. I've started and run my own businesses and advise leaders in growing theirs. My mission as a money therapist is to empower leaders to end what I call emotional poverty and to grow their internal net worth right alongside growing their investments and businesses, ultimately to live wealthy. I'm excited to share these stories with you. And so subscribe right now to The Nature of Money wherever you find podcasts to get episodes as soon as they drop. When I look around at the state of the world and how we as a society are being in relationship with money, it seems to me that we are experiencing our own tragic financial fantasy land. As of September 2020, the United States had the highest reported federal deficit, over $3 trillion. And by October of 2020, the U.S. consumer debt rate reached the highest recorded rate, approximately $4.2 trillion as a nation and dare I say the world, we are in an unhealthy codependent relationship with money. Now, some economists say no one really knows at what level a government's debt begins to hurt an economy. There's a lot of heated debate over this. Though I suggest that when we enter into rates of codependency this high, we aren't making decisions from a place of abundance and prosperity. Scarcity and fear rules the land Taxes surge, unemployment rates surge, overworking surges, domestic abuse surges, and depression and suicide rates also surge. In the last two episodes, I suggested that what is required is self-examination. We explored how the dramatic roles depicted in the Cinderella story are roles we are all playing out in our lives and in our relationships with money in some way or another. In the story of being a victim, a bully, a hero, and how our unconscious programming robs us of our sovereignty, keeping us in a state of fear and scarcity and suffering. We began to explore what money stories are and where they originate from. How do we change all of this? Can we change all of this? While I don't claim to have an answer for how to heal our economic crisis, I do know that it starts within each of us. I believe that to make a systematic change, it starts on the individual level. Every day you have a choice. 
you decide if you will perpetuate the drama cycle of your own Cinderella story, or if you will choose sovereignty. Ultimately, you decide how you will be in relationship with money and how you will make financial decisions every single day. Are you growing a flourishing garden or are you staying stuck in the weeds? Through the stories of our female founders from around the world, let's now explore how we can transform our core beliefs about ourselves and about money and how those beliefs tie into our net worth and the balance in our bank account. Again, I asked Dr. Catherine Guile, the founder of Making Everything Fun, why are these stories so difficult to change? The way that the brain works is that the brain is actually designed to allow us to survive. Survival mode is the most important thing. And guess what triggers that survival mode? Fear. And that's at the very, you know, basic levels, structural levels of our brain. And it's going to override anything that's going on in the higher parts of our brain. We can actually even call it the downstairs brain and the upstairs brain. And the upstairs brain, you know, allows us to uh, be creative and to be rational and to, you know, have these connections and memories and, and it actually crafts some of the stories, right? I mean, it's, it actually is how we weave a story together and how we can actually take a story forward to a positive outcome. However, if we have not cleared out those negative beliefs, those limiting beliefs, the patterns that are the muckety muck that is holding us back and that lives at that very basic structure of the brain, the downstairs brain, that is always going to override the upstairs brain. If we even think about it as related to the subconscious and the conscious mind, 97% plus or minus of activity is at that subconscious level. It's that huge base of the iceberg you know, only 3% or so is that conscious or that top of the iceberg. So if we are not clearing off the muckety muck, we can't have those loving connections. We can't have that rational thinking. We can't actually believe that we're safe. And therefore we cannot create positive stories for what we need to move forward. Turning back to the Cinderella story, on screen we watch how with the support of her animal friends who sew her lovely gown for her and help her with her chores, Cinderella has just enough time to get dressed and run down the staircase to join her stepmother and stepsisters as they head out for the royal ball. However, her jealous stepsisters recognize items in Cinderella's attire that they had thrown out, a strand of beads, a sash. Item Cinderella's animal friends had upcycled to help her get ready. In a fury, the stepsisters rip off their discarded items, destroying Cinderella's gown in the process and leaving her standing there unfit to attend the ball. How often in your life have you felt the fury of the stepsisters or the devastation of Cinderella? And devastated and overwhelmed by sadness, Cinderella runs out into the garden and finds a bench and releases an overdue cry. Then what I call the magic moment of allowing what is ushers in the expansion. And as Cinderella allows herself to feel all of the feels, her fairy godmother appears. This is what I call the bippity-boppity-boo moment. Because put them all together and what have you got? Bippity-boppity-boo. Remember that song in the animated movie? 
And Cinderella is amazed as she watches the magic of transformation happening all around her. The pumpkin turns into the majestic carriage and the dog turns into the respectable looking coachman and the mice turn into the horses and yet the magic, the possibility and the belief that this is for her too is still somewhere just out of reach, outside of her. And in the climatic moment of Cinderella attaching to and asking for what she desires as she says, but what about me, my dress? I believe that this is the moment that she begins to embrace her own self-worthiness. What if Cinderella had had support to examine herself beyond this magical moment? Would she still have needed to be rescued by the prince? Or would other choices have become possible? We'll never know in this classic fairy tale, but in your own life, you can explore this. You can rewrite your story. I sat down with Ingrid Macher, who is the most influential Hispanic woman in the field of nutrition and healthy living in the United States and Latin America. And during our conversation, Ingrid shares her own bippity-boppity-boo moment with me, the moment when she realized she was worth it. And Ingrid is a social media phenomenon. Her message reaches more than 70 million women weekly. This powerhouse, she's a writer, a speaker, a cancer survivor that quickly became a seven-figure business owner through her Burnout 20 movement, and now she contributes large portions of earnings and time to the construction of a therapy center in South America that will treat children with terminal disease. Everything started when I came to America when I was 19 years old. I wanted to live the American dream, and I thought as I moved to USA, I was going to go have a car, uh, you know, I was going to have a prince, I was going to have a house and a golden retriever. Instead, I came to Puerto Rico, and I was like struggling in the beginning because when you are an immigrant in this country, you have to discover that no matter what degrees you have, you have to start over. So I got married for the first time when I was 19, divorced three years after that with a baby. And after working for seven years, uh, graduated for a college with summa cum laude honors, I discovered that I needed to start working in three jobs and forget about my dreams to, to one day I was tired of work, you know, doing all these jobs. And I was asking God, God, can you send me a prince? Can you send me an angel? I'm, I'm tired to be working so much. And, and you know what? He was great. He actually sent me this beautiful man, <laughs> his blue eyes, blonde, incredible rich, had a great personality, younger than me. And that's how I actually start living my single uh, motherhood, <laughs> you know, and, and, and marry this man. Um, love is always great, but I always say to women, the love actually making us gain weight because with that romance, I gained over 50 pounds. And in 2008, my husband and I lose all our money. So for going to having the, the car, the house and the golden retrievers and the life that I always dreamed, I have to start over with him. This time it was different because I was really sick with asthma. 
I had no medical access to medicines or to doctors. And it was a point in my life that I was, I broke inside of myself. And I said, God, why are you giving me everything and you take it away from me? Now I just want to ask you for one thing. Can I please recover my health so I can see my children grow, so I can see them getting married, graduating from school, and I can enjoy this, this amazing man that you sent me to my life? And, and with that day in my knees, I give my life to Christ, and I started a new journey. I went for 90 days, lose 50 pounds, and start a company they call Adelgaza 20. It's a company in the Hispanic community that creates a nutritional exercise and wellness content. And they reach over 80 million women a week in the Hispanic market. So I figured it out through the years with my husband, which is my partner too, the that we are going in our feet, that we are getting well. And again, I have another obstacle in my life. In 2017, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was in the moment of my life with my career. I was in the top. I just released two bestseller books that they were number one for 27 weeks in sales in United States in South America and Mexico. And, you know, by receiving those news, I was devastated, but in the same way, it was a new beginning to my life, to my career, and actually to my marriage and to my family. And I've been battled this cancer for two and a half years, and I finally can say that I am free for cancer and with a new vision in my life, um, just excited to be able to serve more women and show them that when you put your eyes in God, things happen beautifully in your life. Ingrid's story is inspiring. With Cinderella, though, as with so many other women, the magic ends at the stroke of midnight. And this is what I refer to as an upper limit. The premise here is that we all carry ingrained unconscious ideas of just how happy and successful we can be. And we sabotage our success, our dreams and desires, and what is possible deep inside. Because we're all so ill-equipped to process and move beyond our fear and shame and angry and misery, too undernourished and under-resourced to be seen in and hold the capacity of our expanded greatness. Here's more of Dr. Catherine Skyley's take on this. Well, stories are so important and words are so important. In fact, I've already talked a little bit about semantics and what epigenetics means. So I'm also going to talk about the word spell like magic. So when we spell, spelling, we are actually casting spells with our words. I encourage everyone listening to this to really focus, be very aware of the words that we say, the words we say to ourselves, the words that we say to our loved ones, because we are casting spells. And so as we understand the importance of words, I want to talk about a study that was done on epigenetics, on genetics. And it was a group of people and there's a bunch of genes that actually correlate to physical performance and endurance. 
And we could say that some people have beneficial uh, genes in that regard, and some people have non-beneficial genes in that regard. And so they took this group, let's say it was 100 people, and they told half the group that, sorry, you got the non-beneficial genes for endurance. And they told the other half of the group, oh my gosh, good luck. Or you have good luck and have a great time on the trails because you're an endurance athlete. And what they did is they studied these people over the next few months and they had them submit journals about their endurance performance. And guess what happened? The people that were told that they had the beneficial genes, they started running longer and felt better and they their performance improved. And the people that were told that they didn't have the beneficial genes, you know what happened. They slowed down, they got lethargic, they felt tired. Why don't why don't I perform so well? So and so is faster than me and can run f- further. The reality was that every person in that study had the same genes. They were just told a different story. And that's really where these internal interventions or influences come into play. They are from other people, but they're also ourselves. So when I talk about you know turning on and off genes or essentially methylation or acetylation, and that's an oversimplification, but let's just stay with that. When I'm talking about those internal interventions, those are way more powerful than the external things that I mentioned, like the air we breathe, the diet we uh, take, we, uh, you know, the supplements, the things that often people go to first when they're thinking about uh, health. It's really what I was saying about those, you know, the prayer, the altruism, the attitudes, what is suggested to us by ourselves and by others, meditation, spirituality, All of that, if I were to put it on a balance clunk on that side, the internal intervention or influences would go clunk way down heavier than those external influences. And both of those on that scale go into methylation or acetylation, which modulate gene expression. And from there, we have, you know, either an adaptive response if we're making positive suggestions like, you know, our DHA is at a healthy level and we have high energy and we're performing well, or we have maladaptive circumstances, you know, like we have high cortisol levels or we're chronically stressed, uh, or we're just not feeling our best and don't experience optimal energy. So absolutely suggestions, external and internal are very important. There's these genes, these SNPs called the GAD genes, and they are responsible for the conversion of glutamate into GABA. And GABA is that wonderful calming neurotransmitter that allows us to feel peaceful and allows us to sleep and things like that. Very, very important. And when people have a modification in their GAD SNPs, um, there's some important one. There's about five important uh, GAD SNPs that we look at. Um, then they have trouble converting that glutamate into GABA. Uh, if they have foods that are high in glutamate, like grains or dairy or <laughs> MSG, I mean, monosodium glutamate, that's got a lot of glutamate in there and it, it gets stuck in that pathways. It actually makes people feel very anxious. And again, they can't sleep. Uh, researchers have shown, researchers have shown that it's actually related to uh, spectrum disorders, ADHD, and so on. So you asked about choice. So it can be a simple choice for a young child to say, 
oh my goodness, you know, I know you really want to do well on this test. And we're talking about going on this, you know, fun uh, adventure to the park, you know, later this week. And I know how important it is for you to have energy. And, you know, I know that when you have um, that, that cake, you know, with the artificial coloring, you know, it, it makes it hard to focus. And then you don't feel well about um, how you feel. And then you might not do well on the test and we might not be able to have that adventure. So what do you think? Like, how should, we, how should we solve this problem? Can I help you? Or do you, do you think you have the answer? Um, what I'm trying to do is really, really, I mean, I'm not going to talk about uh, glutamate and GABA and GAD genes with a child, but I, I, I really want to inspire listeners who have children to be giving the children choice. And sometimes it's just a choice of, and, and I do this, with my kids, I'm like, you know, sure. Of course you can have that. Like it, you know, and they might say like, you know, I'm going to feel terrible afterwards. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's a choice, right? So it's a, it's a choice. Every meal we have, it's a choice. Every conversation we have about health and how we shame or blame or don't. Meaning, you know, when I'm having conversations with my kids, the last thing I want to do is create any shame or blame about anything they're eating because it's their choice. It's their body. And what I say is, you know, my daughter's name is Elena. And I say, you know, Elena is the number one expert on Elena, right? But we also have choices throughout our entire lives that add up. As Dr. Catherine points out, our choices have a compounding effect, just like compounding interest on our financial investments. How does all of this translate into our money beliefs? Well, the rainbow again is a powerful teacher here. Did you know that no two people can see the exact same image of a rainbow, even if they're standing right next to one another? In fact, if you cover one of your eyes and look at a rainbow, you'll see it differently from each eye based on the small amount of distance from eye to eye. The only way for people to see the exact same rainbow image is to look at a photograph of the image. This is an important lesson because we often see things differently than others, even if we're in the same exact experience. In this analogy, money is the rainbow, and we all see the experience indifferently. So how do we get that photograph of our relationship with money? Well, first we've got to get perspective about what it is that we're believing about money. What beliefs about money do you have that are not true? How are you behaving with money? Are you avoiding reviewing your metrics and numbers, for example? You've got to be willing to look at your interaction and thoughts and emotional patterns around money. You've got to talk about it and explore it. And that might even mean hiring and working with someone like me, someone who is willing to discover and explore your blind spots. And in doing so, in gaining this perspective, you get access to more choice, to truly choosing the kind of relationship with money you desire. Hey, everyone. This episode has a special sponsor. Over at Ziva Meditation, you'll find tools to help you transition from worrier to warrior, all in one place. The world may be stressed, but you don't have to be. Inside Ziva Meditation Self-Care Center, you'll find meditations, visualizations, bodywork and movement, and resources for you parents and your kiddos. Emily Fletcher, founder of Ziva Meditation, and I have spent time together and we share similar values. And I can personally say that this is one talented meditation guide. And so I'm confident that by putting you in the hands of her and her programs, you'll find your way into more peace and calm amidst your busy life. Use http colon forward slash forward slash 
bit.ly forward slash Ziva Meditation. I asked my dear friend Lauren Powers about how she's worked through her money story. Lauren is a former figure model, CrossFit coach, and nutrition educator turned 10-year entrepreneur. She launched her Atlanta-based outdoor boot camp, Total Fitness Revolution, in 2008, and that's become a fitness empire. And Lauren is also the managing partner of a multi-million dollar medical marketing agency based in Chicago, and she privately coaches other inspiring entrepreneurs in starting and growing a new business. Here's Lauren. So I honestly did not understand the value of a dollar until I graduated from college. $500 and $5,000 was the same to me. All I did was ask my parents for it and it was given. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, a spoiled child. It's just that they wanted me to focus on school and, and everything else. So when I needed money, I just needed it. And it was a shocker to me when I graduated from school and I, my first job was at Pfizer, company car, gas paid for. I was making about 60 grand at the time, which is big money, you know, for someone 21 years old. And I would use every dollar in every paycheck because money just didn't have, it was important. I just didn't understand it. I was an economics major, which is <laughs> it's funny. So because I, I get how it, I, I would get how it works, but I didn't understand how to save. Um, those were not conversations that I had with my parents because they just kind of set me up. And and it took me maxing out credit cards after school, after college, and I was making more than enough money to not have to, I don't even know what the hell I was buying, to, to max out a Discover. When the Discover was maxed out, I'd get a city card, and then I would get a Capital One. Um, and it, I, I just it didn't get it. Now, my mother was around for that. They had to like just like strip all of that um, need to borrow for foolishness away from me and and really talk about savings. I, I wish that conversation had happened earlier uh, because that's not something that you can just do. Um, it is definitely a learned behavior. I, I can say it's been a slow, slow, like kind of like turning the ocean liner. You know, it take a long time to turn around. It was about a good eight years for me to get out of debt, of the stupid credit card debt, and, and really understand um, that $500 and 5000 are not the same. When we do get perspective and begin to understand our money stories, what happens is an opening up to possibility and manifesting abundantly a freedom and a sense of joy in our life. Remember Lee Richard from part one in the series where we discussed the money belief training she got in her early 20s? She's an example of what this looks like in practice. Again, Lee Richard is an award-winning innovator and visionary recognized by the San Francisco Business Times and their top 100 women business leaders and featured in the top 100 fastest growing businesses in the San Francisco Bay Area. And as a CEO, best-selling author, studio producer, and a member of the Forbes Business Council, Lee's passion is to connect with innovative leaders, making a global impact. And here, Lee shares her wisdom from her own experience of rewriting her money story. One of the things we learned is 
to thank our money when we use it and say, thank you for serving me. Now go out into the world and come back to me multiplied. So not only am I in gratitude around the money, but I'm also giving it a chore and a purpose, which is go out into the world, make a positive difference for someone else, and then come back to me with your friends and be multiplied. And I do that on a regular basis. I actually play with it. I'll share one quick story. When my husband turned 40, I bought him a 1962 MG convertible. And it was $13,000 at the time. And I absolutely played with, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to splurge. I'm going I'm to spoil him and surprise him. And as I wrote that check for $13,000 to buy that car, I said, thank you for serving me. Now go out into the world and come back to me multiplied. And within three days, I got a surprise check that was almost to the penny four times that amount that came out of the blue. I didn't expect it. And I just kept playing with it. I kept, oh, go back out in the world and come back to me multiplied. And the more I pay attention to it and the more I give it that purpose, the more it's with ease coming back to me. So I don't think it costs anything or hurts you to play around with that. What I think it is, is being curious to see if you can generate that for yourself as well. And because I was curious and I, and I adopted it at, at an early age and I've been consistent. I've been consistent over the years to not only use it in my life, but to share it with others. And by being consistent, it's actually been paying off. I had a conversation the other day with someone, and at the end of it, when I hung up, I said, wow, I just earned $400,000 in that conversation. By having a strategy, putting it in place, and I'm like, I don't have to have low-level conversations in my life anymore. They keep getting bigger and bigger. And I'm now doing a lot of work that are calling on a lot of work that's calling on me to be even at a higher level, like multi-million dollar operations and multi-billion dollar contracts. And the more that I play around with this consistently and just see it as another relationship, the more I'm building it and strengthening it, strengthening it. And the more that I'm doing that, the more it's fun, it's playful. It really works. And it really is another relationship. It's just one I'm paying attention to. Ironically, my husband, who's a holistic veterinarian, is not motivated by money. And when I was in finance for 14 years, and I would watch all these other families building their wealth and coming in with stock certificates that they inherited that were worth millions of dollars, and all of this money was being generated for all of these people, and I would come home and my husband wouldn't want to hear about it. He was like, nope, nope, I'm not motivated by money. That's you know, Don't make money our topic. And I realized that he didn't want to have those conversations. And he's part of the equation in my life and flow of money. And so I had to also learn how to navigate that relationship. Not he has one feeling, I have another, but we have to be unified in where we're going. So it took a little time to actually say, you know, the power of words and let's choose the words that, that take us to the place we want to go. So it wasn't natural for him in the beginning, but now he does understand that it is really a relationship. It really is an intention. It really is a calling. And the more that we pay attention to it to be in abundance and be of help to others, the more that it comes in flow. And I'm thinking, I love creating so much. There is no retire. It's just still building and sharing value. And so right now, yes, I've been invited and I'm in pursuing the opportunity to build a moonshot in the animal health industry. And the other 12 moonshots that are in this group are so incredible. They've already done $65 billion in 
business in the last 10 years together. And here I am being called into this community. And it is a little uncomfortable because it's such a big commitment. It's a 25-year commitment to make a difference on the planet. But it's also putting innovation together that can make a difference, putting people together that can make a difference and putting opportunities together where there is money flow, where there is consciousness, where there is intention for a better good. Lee has done a powerful job of describing what it's like and what's at stake for moving into greater abundance. And the thing is all behavioral patterns can be shifted and changed. They're pliable, they're malleable, they're not static. You're not hardened to stone, even the most dense scar tissue just needs to be worked a bit more. Those are our most traumatic induced experiences. A bit more effort and large dashes of compassion will get the job done. I know what it's like. I'm one of those people who's had to work through some pretty heavy trauma. If you listen to the first two episodes of the season, you know what I'm referring to. So pause for a moment here and reflect on your own life. What are you longing for? That deep inner yearning inside of you. What do you need to release to nourish this? Are you willing to examine your beliefs? Are you willing to release what hinders you? Are you willing to embrace and welcome the growing pain of your own expansion? What I've grown to learn is that our joy, our abundance, our freedom, our well being, and our net worth. The fullness of our life depends on working through this. We'll hear again from Dr. Catherine Guiley one final time as she shares some practical advice about how to transcend your own story and narrative from her book, Mountain Mantras. For my book, Mountain Mantras, I interviewed lots of Olympic athletes. And there was one athlete. She was actually an X game skier. Um, she does uh, ski cross, which is kind of like a combination between, you know, jump skiing and like uh, motocross, you know, you're going like 150 miles on skis and you're going across huge gaps and up berms and it's terrifying. Uh, so she, her name is Langley McNeil and she was in the X games. And I said to her, um, how do you do this? Like I've, you see them in the gates and how they basically have to, you know, get ready to, to basically, you know, risk their lives. Right. Cause if you crash going 150 miles an hour and you go into the gap, you're done. And I said, how do you do it? And she said, well, I visualize, close your eyes. I visualize that I'm an avatar. And then I open my eyes just like in that movie, you know, when they're like avatars that are in that magical jungle. Yeah. And I am the avatar. And then I take off. And she said, what you have to do is you have to throw yourself down the mountain. And I'm like, what? And this is related to like being successful on skis and being successful in life and being successful as an entrepreneur. And she's like, absolutely. You got to commit. You have to commit a hundred percent. Because if there is one tiny little percent that's holding back, guess what? Your weight is a little bit back on your skis. The minute the weight is back on the skis, you're out of control. All of your control is putting your weight forward. It's committing to the falling. It's committing to gravity and committing fully 100% to what you're doing. And then I went and I, I went to a talk by 
uh, a group called Wild Gift, which uh, funds entrepreneurs uh, to create amazing organizations around social change. And it's it's all here. They take the entrepreneurs out into the backcountry and they do, you know, vision mapping and strategy sessions and all that. And so I was listening to the talks based on what they had learned in the backcountry. And this guy, he was from he was from Florida, I think. He'd never skied. He had this terrible burn on his face as he got up in front of the group group because he didn't realize, you know, when you're out in the snow and you're in Sun Valley, like it reflects off and you get a serious tan or you burn. So he's up there, burnt to a crisp, and he's like, and he'd never skied before. And he was out in the backcountry for the last couple of days with a bunch of, you know, really incredible athletes. And he said, What I learned is that you have to commit a hundred percent. You cannot put your weight backwards. You will go out of control. You will lose uh, control of your speed. You will crash. And that is what I am going to do in my business. I'm going to commit. I am going to put my weight forward and I'm going to engage. I'm going to throw myself down the mountain. Dr. Catherine just gave us a great example of what I like to call failing forward, a safe container we create for ourselves to make mistakes and learn and how to fall down and get back up because beautiful, the journey to mastery of anything involves a lot of clumsiness along the way, a lot of time spent on the practice field, a lot of time learning. And if we aren't willing to fail, to make mistakes, to fall, we will end up exactly where we are, stuck. To be human and alive is an evolutionary process and growth is wondrously uncomfortable. And a prime example of a wondrous discomfort of growth is found in the example of a modern-day Cinderella, the life of Princess Diana. To me, her story is one of reclaiming inner power. Princess Diana experienced the classical fairy tale ending so many only dream of. Prince Charles did come and rescue her, receiving all she thought she ever wanted, and yet it was an empty delusion. Failure? Nope. Mistake? Sure. So much of life was ahead, and so she chose again. We often want to focus our energy on the royal wedding, and yet a royal divorce is sometimes exactly what's needed. How do we divorce ourselves from that with which we have always dreamed of having, only to find that it is completely unfulfilling? In the case of Princess Diana, even under tense challenge and immense pressure from the royal family, she chose herself. She divorced herself literally and figuratively of what held her back from being free in herself and in her life, and her courage to begin to reclaim her wholeness and rewrite her own Cinderella story is inspiring. The reclamation of one's soul, of one's self-respect, of one's self-worth, and it isn't and it wasn't easy. And she didn't get there all the way necessarily, but she did go for it. She said, I'm going to try. I'd rather die trying than stay stuck in the prison of inner misery. And she was worth rewriting her story for. And so are you. And so here's what I'm saying. I'm saying first, take a deep look at yourself and see what you can do to shift unconscious and unhealthy ingrained narratives, including the ones that may not even be yours. And I'm saying, you do not have to continue to normalize suffering and helplessness in your life. And I'm saying that, what conversations do you need to have to end your starring role in the destructive drama cycle? 
And I'm saying, take responsibility for your security by becoming a good financial steward in a healthy and build that wealth from a healthy place for yourself and for generations to come. And I'm saying, feel all of your feelings so that you can accept yourself exactly as you are in the space of what is and look for the magic and possibility that lives even in the darkest of nights. And I'm saying, identify the ways you sabotage and rob yourself of your ability to experience greatness. And I'm saying, save yourself, set yourself free, just choose again, beautiful. Begin rewriting your Cinderella story right now by telling yourself, I love myself exactly as I am. From this place of self-acceptance, you source your transformative power. And thank you to my co-producer, Tyler Lowe, to my writing shepherd, Tina Overberry, and to the musical magic and all-around soul support of my sweetheart, John Bagdasarian, and to the entire Living Wealthy team. The manifestation of this project is simply not possible without them. I'd also like to thank my guests, Emily Fletcher of ZivaMeditation.com, Sage Levine of WomenRockingBusiness.com, Dr. Catherine Guiley of MakingEverythingFun.com, Lee Richer of GoAskLee.com, and Natalie Ledwell of MindMovies.com. And, of- and to you, my listener, thank you. And I wish you a blessed week. Thank you for listening to The Nature of Money, a show of the Living Wealthy Institute. I'm your host, Jennifer Love. Thank you for joining me. Inspired by what you heard? Challenged? This is sobering and confronting material. I know. I've done it. And I continue to do it. And I work with leaders around the world in doing this work. It's a big step to even get to the place where you're willing to look and examine your core beliefs and the ways that you could be sabotaging yourself and say, yeah, that could be happening in me. Exploring this on your own is not easy. If you'd like support with identifying how your harmful narratives are blocking you from feeling worthy, valuable, whole, and freeing yourself and in your relationship with money, please book a discovery session with us. You can book that by going to jenniferlove.com and filling out a short and easy discovery form that helps me and the team prepare so we can show up and explore how to best support you. You can also join our free Living Wealthy Community Facebook group, where I share financial resources, living wealthy tips, and weekly money inspirations. You can find that at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash living wealthy. And will you take just a moment right now and give this show a stellar rating on the channel you're tuning into and then share this episode with someone who could really benefit from its magic. I deeply appreciate you. And thank you to my co-producer, Tyler Lowe, to my writing shepherd, Tina Overberry, and to the musical magic and all around soul support of my sweetheart, John Bagdasarian, and to the entire Living Wealthy team. The manifestation of this project is simply not possible without them. And to you, my listener, thank you. And I wish you a blessed week.